Thank you, Kent and Barbara, for our music tonight. Welcome to those of you joining us on live stream. We're starting out tonight in First, First John chapter two again, like we did last Sunday night, as we started, or or the last uh, Sunday night that we had a message uh, from on the Antichrist. And in First John two, the reason we start there, but I'm going to have you turn to a lot of things tonight. But First John two eighteen says, "Little children, it is the last hour." And we do live in the last hour. We live in the last time, the last age. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming. And of course, that's what I'm talking about. And tonight, I want to talk about the rise of the Antichrist. Last Sunday night, I talked about the spirit of Antichrist. The verse goes on to say, even now are many Antichrists, small a, that have come. But Antichrist, capital A, is coming. That is a proper name for a real person. And so tonight I want to talk about how he comes to power, that rise to power of the Antichrist. <clears throat> and then next week I will talk to you about the reign of Antichrist, and that is what happens uh, when he comes to power and what he does. And then lastly we'll talk about the demise of Antichrist and how he loses power. You know, Matthew chapter 24 says that uh, many antichrists will come too. Many will come and say, I am Christ. So my good wife sent me this text, this link, that uh, uh, this article from the Daily Star says, the blue-eyed AI Jesus threatens damnation if viewers ignore his TikTok commandments. So the article goes on to say, Jesus has apparently made his second coming via social media, <laughs> if you believe that, giving blessing and threatening damnation after a video claiming to be him surfaced online. A TikTok account which has gained more than 9 million likes across 70 videos has been posing as the biblical figure under the username Daily Believer. The profile shares clips made with artificial intelligence, AI, clips showing the self-declared Jesus with long hair, a beard, blue eyes, based on the 1940 painting of the head of Christ. A little bit more. Each clip shows the computer-generated Jesus telling viewers that they must share his video with their friends and family and comment, I believe, if they believe in God. But if they do not comply with his demands, he tells them they will face damnation. <laughs> you know, uh, I'm kind of tired of hearing about AI. I know what it is. But I've decided, I, I was reading my Bible uh, just uh, the other morning, and I decided I believe in EI. Have you heard of EI? Well, it, it's in 1 Timothy 1.17. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be glory and honor forever and ever. That's the, that's the one I believe in, who is the real God and the real eternal God. Well, I want us tonight to do what really is a Bible study, and we're going to turn to a lot of passages as we talk about the Antichrist. And the reason that, I, that I'm doing this is so that we just put things in context, so that at least we understand the chronology that the Bible has, and then as we watch things in our world, we realize that they, they are going to fit God's chronology, and we just have to wait on that and, and see uh, what happens according to, to the biblical things. If we, if we could take a very high flight over history right now and look down on this world, I want to remind you of a couple things. Number one, human beings live forever. We have eternal souls. And our eternal existence is going to be basically in eternity. And the few years that we have here is nothing compared to eternity. 
but, but every human being, everyone who has ever lived is still alive somewhere right now, either in heaven or in hell or on this earth. No one has ceased to exist, which means that you and I uh, have a very short time in our existence to actually be on this earth. Now, we live forever, so do angels and demons, angels who became demons. So though we only have a short time, and then you're faced with eternity. And remember that the fact is that once you die, the choices are done. You will be put into hell forever or into heaven forever. And that's where you'll be for eternity. Now, angels and demons, that is fallen angels who became demons, have lived 7,000 years on, or will have lived 7,000 years on this earth. That's assuming, let's just say the earth is 7,000 years old at the end of it. Except for the ones that have been incarcerated the whole time, they, angels in heaven and demons on this earth have been around a long time on this earth. They haven't, they haven't gone on yet. Their time of judgment has not come, but it will, it will come. But even they will live forever in heaven or in hell. The angels will. Not by being saved, of course, but just by being creatures that they are. Now, Satan then has been around now for, you know, 6,000 years. And though he'll be, he'll be bound for 1,000 years, he won't, he won't be turned into the lake of fire till after the whole 7,000 years is done. Satan knows that. He knows that even though he's alive for 7,000 years on this earth, you and I might be for 70 years or so, he has one goal. And we always forget this. His goal is to take as many people as possible to hell with him. That's what he's, that's what he's about. And the Bible even says he knows he has a short time. He knows, he knows these prophecies. He knows what's going to happen. He's not stupid. And so he knows he has a little time. That's what he is doing. He cares nothing about politics. He cares nothing about economies. He cares nothing about uh, nations or anything else. He is going to populate hell with as many souls of human beings as he can. And, and all of those fallen demons will be there with all of those people. He knows that, and that's what he's about. Now, the Antichrist is a, is a man. He's not an angel, not a demon. He's a man. So he will be born. He will live. And then when Satan uses him as the Antichrist, even Satan knows that man has seven years to live, and he's out of here. He becomes the Antichrist for seven years, and Satan knows that God will cast him and his false prophet into the lake of fire, and he'll be done. And he'll probably, the Antichrist will probably be a young man, a very charismatic, good-looking, popular, you know, maybe rich man, I don't know, but uh, very well-known, but he'll, be, he'll have a very short life. And he's going to use him as much as he can and in every way he can to send as many people to hell as possible. Now, that's a high flyover of what's going on in this world. And God, knowing that, sent his only begotten son into this world to die for human beings so that when our short time here is over, we may go to heaven by belief in him. So that's what's going on. We, we kind of live in a fishbowl, don't we? I mean, you know, fish in a fishbowl, have a very little world, and somehow they're aware of some things that are going on outside there, but they can't see it very well, and they don't really know much of what's going on out there. We kind of live in this fishbowl called this world uh, for a short time, and we know something's out there, and the Bible tells us about some of it, but we don't see much of it, and we, we kind of forget that this isn't everything. We're just a little fishbowl in God's universe, and that's what's going on. Now, you have an outline in front of you, whether on a bulletin or on the, um, on the screen. And so uh, let, let me kind of uh, 
introduce us. Again, I, I'm going to have you turn to these passages that you have in your notes there. And I want us to go there and look at these and put a chronology together. We're putting a, a timeline together. You know, often you will see a class that's being taught or you might buy a booklet or something like that that is titled Daniel and Revelation, right? The book of Daniel combined with the book of Revelation. The reason for that is Daniel really, of all those prophets in the Old Testament, gives us timelines of how things are going to happen, especially about the Antichrist. And then the book of Revelation, of course, gives us that timeline also. So I've often taken this, this pulpit here, this, this podium, and divided it into two parts. So let me do that. If you're looking at it going this way, the, the corner right here is the start of the tribulation period, and this tribulation is seven years long. And there's a middle point where this microphone is. And we're gonna, what we are talking about tonight is what starts this tribulation and takes us to the halfway point. Three and a half years here, three and a half more years here. So here is the rapture, which I'll, I'll say in a minute. It comes first. And we're out of the way before even all of this starts, but it happens here. And we're in heaven during this time of tribulation. And then Jesus returns to the earth in his glory at the end of the seven years, and we come back with him. And from there on here is the thousand-year millennial reign of Christ. So there you go. There's my, there's my uh, illustration. So we'll talk about that. We're talking about this, how he comes to power. When the Antichrist gets right here in the middle is when he becomes the world ruler. So he's working his way up to that. And when the rapture happens back here, we really don't know who he is yet. He hasn't been revealed, as 2 Thessalonians uses that word. Then he will be revealed. And so we're starting at the beginning as, as far as his career goes, and we're looking at what the Bible says about this career. We have to look at the world around us and say, well, it could happen. We see a lot of things going on today that kind of will fit into these scenarios. We're not always exactly sure. We can't look at a person today and say, that person is the Antichrist or that person is the Antichrist. We're not sure about that until he's revealed at this starting point. So we're going to kind of start like that and go that way. So you have on your notes kind of four, you know, uh, spots here, four markers in these three and a half years. There is a peace treaty that begins everything. That, set, that seven year period, the clock will start again when that treaty is signed. So that's right here. Then we're told he comes as a conqueror on a white horse. And he begins to get popular, and he begins to conquer, and he begins to kind of put his, his power together. We note, thirdly, that he's a Westerner. The Bible, I think, is pretty clear about that, that he comes out of the West, uh, something that we kind of hate to think that, that we're going to, you know, we Westerners, and I mean Western Europe as far and the United States and, and so forth, that we produce this guy? Yeah, we will. We produce him. And then the, the, the mark about the northern army is that something happens right here at, at the halftime that pushes him into world dominance to where he becomes the world ruler at this point. And that last point about the abomination of desolation is when he turns around and does the most wicked thing and the whole world says, oh, that's who that is. And yet the world follows him. So that's kind of where we're going here. So, again, it, I, I feel like it's, it's a little more of a Bible study than sermonic, but I think we need to do this tonight. So you can find the book of Daniel, right? So go back to the book of Daniel and uh, put your bulletin there. If you never read the bulletin, it makes a good bookmark. Sorry, honey. That's all right. I know you work hard to produce them, but... Uh, and Daniel 9, and we'll be in the book of Daniel in a few different chapters, so, you know, hold, hold your place there. And what are we looking at at Daniel chapter 9? 
But notice verse 27 as we will kind of work up to it. Verse 27 says, Then he, and it's talking about the Antichrist there, shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. Okay, this seven years that I have here in front of you is one week. So the, the 70 weeks, if you go back up to verse 24, 70 weeks are determined upon your people. Daniel's 70 weeks. This prophecy of Daniel gives us this timeline, and, and he does in a lot of other uh, pictures here in his book also. 70 weeks. Now, to make it real short, you remember that it started back in the Persian days of King Artaxerxes, and we, mark, we began to mark those off up until Jesus came the first time, 69 weeks. So you have in here uh, the count of, uh, in verse 25, there's 7 and 62, makes 69 and so forth. And so verse 26, after the 62, you have 7 and then 62. See verse 26? After that, Messiah shall be cut off. That no doubt refers to his crucifixion. And then the people of the prince who shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. So 70 A.D., the city and the sanctuary were destroyed. But notice the phrase before that. The people of the prince who is to come shall destroy it. Okay, who destroyed, who destroyed the city and the temple in 70 A.D.? Rome did, right? The Roman Empire, Titus, the, the general, and so forth. And the prince who is to come, who is the Antichrist, is then a Roman, that is, a Westerner. He comes out of what used to be the Roman Empire. So then, since now, Jesus has been crucified, the city has been destroyed, and then the end of it shall be with the flood till the end of war. Desolations are determined. And so for the last 2,000 years, we've had nothing but wars and rumors of wars. The times of the Gentiles. And we've been waiting for verse 27. Then he shall confirm. Who is he? That prince that shall come from up in verse 26. He shall confirm a covenant with many for the last week, 69 weeks have happened up until the time of Christ, and now we've got one more week that has to happen, and, and folks, it's never happened. I, I've been reading a lot of preterists because I'm going to teach a, a, a class on that to some folks later on, and there are some people who believe all of these things have already, it all happened in the first century, it's all done, and uh, uh, we have nothing else to look forward to as far as these things go. I don't think so. I think that what we have understood for a long time now, and what all the way back in the, you know, in the 1800s when we had those great Bible conferences uh, with, with great speakers like D.L. Moody and others, they, they preached about these prophetic things, and we kind of inherited that knowledge in the 20th century, and those of us who, who lived, through, you know, half of the 20th century, we remember all of those great prophetic things. And so we're still looking for this tribulation. We're still looking for the Antichrist. If you think, and they believe, not only did the Antichrist come, but Jesus returned in 70 A.D. So I just don't see how you, you uh, square the Bible with that. So the fact is, to make a long story short, uh, in case you're a preterist and listen to me tonight, uh, these things haven't happened yet. And that 70th week and the things that we're going to see transpiring in this 70th week have not happened yet. And the other thing that hasn't happened yet is the rapture, right? Because <laughs> we're still here. And that rapture has to happen first. If we as pre-tribulational rapturists believe, we're still here. So it hasn't started yet. But you see right here that he's going to confirm that covenant at some time. And when he does, the little corner on my pulpit right here starts. After the 69 weeks, 2,000 years ago, God said, time out. Just like the referee at the ball game, time out, and that clock stopped. For 2,000 years, that clock hand hasn't moved. 69 weeks have been done, time out. But when that thing is signed, God says, time in. 
and that clock starts ticking again. Exactly for one week or uh, as we have these seven years that make up this time. We know they are, they are 360 day years, not 365 like our, like our lunar years, but they're, or our solar years, I mean. They are lunar years, and we know exactly how many days it will be, exactly how many months, exactly how many years throughout this time. So that is the 70th week, and that, that treaty, by the way, and, and uh, you notice two points I have here, the official beginning and then the covenant with death, as it's called. This is the, the reason why that treaty is signed is that this Westerner, out of the old Roman Empire of the West, is going to protect Israel. This man who will become the Antichrist, they don't know it yet, even at that point. They don't know that he's the Antichrist, of course, but they, they make an agreement with this Western king to protect Israel from its enemies. So we look around us today, we see Israel with a lot of enemies, right? As a matter of fact, we're kind of shocked at the anti-Semitic mood in our whole world and in our country too. So we don't have to dream much to think of Israel needing some protection. And at least so far, the Western nations have been supportive of Israel, though in very covert, you know, language. But still, we've said we support Israel. So you can see the scenario. Now, does that mean that this is going to be signed tomorrow morning? <laughs> no, we have no way of knowing that. But, but it could be in some time like ours. Remember this. That the, that the rapture will happen first. And it's not, my, it's not my purpose here tonight to talk about the rapture. We could, we could do a lot of messages on that. But if we're correct that the rapture happens before this ta uh, takes place, it means that the rapture is, is really the next thing on the prophetic timetable that has to happen. And it won't be long. We don't know if that's days before that or, you know, exactly that little short time frame. But the rapture will happen and we'll be gone. We'll look at this in 2 Thessalonians 2 before we're done with this message. We'll be gone and then the Antichrist is revealed as he signs this and so forth. Now, what, what that means is the rapture has been imminent for 2,000 years. Because this... this this 70th week could have started at any time. It didn't have to last 2,000 years. It's just the times of the Gentiles. It's an indefinite period of time. It's a time of wars and rumors of wars, and we've had those for 2,000 years. He could have come back at any time. This, all of this could have happened. So that rapture that the church is waiting for, the church always had to look for it. It's not just you and me that happened to say, well, we're supposed to look for the rapture. No one else really needed to because, because we're here. Well, we don't, maybe somebody else will be here 100 years from now, too. So we don't know that for sure. Every, every Christian has had the, the privilege and the responsibility of looking for that rapture. We were standing out there in the lobby, right, a few of you guys, and we were talking about this, and uh, Chuck, I think it was you that said, I'm, that's what I'm looking for. I'm lo well, that's right. That's exactly what we're looking for. We want to go, and I hope it's in my lifetime. I'd rather do that than die, you know, but uh, I'll take it either way. I'm going to the same place, so it's, it's fine with me. So the rapture is imminent. Now, notice, secondly, in Isaiah, now you can hold your place there and go back to your left to the book of Isaiah. You have these four major prophets, Isaiah, then Jeremiah, then Ezekiel, then Daniel. So in Isaiah 28, Isaiah is talking about the coming of Messiah. You remember verse 16 of Isaiah 28. Behold, I lay in Zion a stone for a foundation a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not act hastily. Uh, that verse is quoted often in the New Testament to refer, of course, to Jesus Christ. But verse 18, Isaiah in this prophecy gets around to scolding Israel 
for their lack of belief in this coming Messiah. And so he says, your covenant with death will be annulled. What is that? That is this covenant that the Antichrist makes with Israel. Now imagine God's view of this. Here is God's people. Here, here is God's, you know, uh, wife, so to speak, is Israel, he calls her. And what does she do? Signs an agreement with the Antichrist to be their God and to protect them. What's God supposed to think about that? They're supposed to turn to God for help. But of course, in unbelief, they're not going to do that. So your covenant with death will be annulled. Look at, secondly, your agreement with hell, Sheol you might have, is hell, right? An agreement with hell, God calls it, will not stand. And when the overflowing scourge passes through, you will be trampled down by it. You're going to regret that you signed this. You're going to re regret that you turn to someone against me and against my, my son, my Christ, in order to protect you. And so Isaiah is pretty sharp here when he says that. Now, this Western king, and you notice in point number three, I call him the Western king, so we'll come back to that in a minute. Even from Daniel chapter 9 is this guy who signs this covenant. And this covenant lasts for three and a half years, okay? Actually, he intends for it to last. He makes the agreement for seven years, but he's going to break the covenant. He's going to break it in the middle of the seven years, okay? So that's the peace treaty. That, that's the official beginning. If you want to know when the tribulation begins, that's when it begins. Not at the rapture, but the rapture comes before that. But then the 70th week of Daniel's prophecy begins at that point, all right? Secondly, go all, you can hold your place there in Daniel because you notice we're going to go to chapter 11 in a second, but all the way back to Revelation, and we'll do a little start in the book of Revelation in chapter 6 with a white horse. So if you know the book of Revelation, you know that it's in chapter 4 and verse 1 where we kind of put the start of everything where John uh, sees a door opened in heaven and God says, come up here and I'll show you things. <laughs> so John says, I'll be glad to see those things. He gets to see all of this from heaven. Now, chapter 4 and 5 is, is John's record of what he saw in heaven. And some pretty amazing things. By the way, just to remind you, in chapter 4, it is that we receive crowns. Look at verse 10. The 24 elders fell down before him, who, this is chapter 4 of Revelation, who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, you are worthy. Now, all of us who know we're going to go to the Bema Seat of Christ and receive rewards, are looking forward to getting a crown of glory or a crown of righteousness or whatever it is and being able to cast our crowns back at the feet of Jesus, right? When does it happen? When the Notice the tribulation has just begun. All the way into chapter 4, we're in heaven casting crowns. Where did those crowns come from? The Bema Seat of Christ. When do we go to the Bema Seat of Christ? At the rapture. <laughs> And if we're already casting crowns in, in chapter 4 of Revelation, then the rapture have had to have happened before the tribulation. That's, that's just, I think, a chronology here. So we're not talking about the rapture, but I'm talking a lot about it, aren't I? But look at this. But look at what happens now as we're told that he sees a seven-sealed book, and this sealed book has to be opened one seal at a time. These seven seals, by the way, will take us through the, the first half of this tribulation. And so as Jesus opens one seal, this happens. He opens a second seal, this happens. He opens a third seal, this happens, and so forth, until all seven of them are opened. Well, notice chapter 6, verse 1. Now, I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, just the first seal, 
And I heard one of the four living creatures saying, With a voice like a thunder, come and see. And I looked, and behold, now we're going to have the four horsemen of the apocalypse, as you remember, a white horse. And he who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. Now he goes on to the other seals here, especially the first four. But who is the rider of this white horse? This is the Antichrist. It's not Jesus Christ yet. He will come on a white horse in chapter 19, uh, dressed in his white robes, and we will come back with him as he comes back here at the end of this tribulation period. Who is this white horse at the beginning? He's an anti-Christ. He's a pretender of Christ. And so here is this white horse, and notice I say there, my point and my outline is that he's a conqueror. He comes conquering and to conquer. He has a bow in his hand and a crown on his head. He doesn't necessarily come meek and lowly like Jesus did the first time. Jesus came as the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. That's not exactly how the Antichrist is going to come, though I imagine that he will pretend in any way he has to to say that he is Christ. But the fact is, he's coming like Jesus would come the second time. Everyone's looking for Jesus to come back, right? Everyone's looking for, for the Lord to come back and do what? Put an end to sin and set up his kingdom and reign on your throne. Well, here's a man that's going to be that type of a person. So that's what the Antichrist mostly looks like as this happens. This bow and this crown, this conqueror, conquering and, and to conquer. When we get to chapter 12 and 13, we're about up here in the middle of Revelation 12 and 13. And there you're going to find the Antichrist, the beast he's called then, goes to war. And even the world says, who can make war against him? Who, can, who could defeat him? By these three and a half years, he becomes this world conqueror and leader. And we'll see that here when we look at the battle of, of Gog and Magog. So he's an imitation of Christ as the king as the conqueror of the world. The white horse here versus the white horse in chapter 19. Now, uh, the word populist. You like that word? It's kind of an invention in our day, I think. You know, it's kind of, we have the word popular, of course, but we, we have now all over the news, various different candidates are populist. We've, we've learned that. That doesn't mean, by the way, that somebody... Now, our former president or anybody else who are, th these men are called populists, you know, if they, they, they kind of are, are among the people, among the, uh, uh, the uh, unwashed, as they say. He's a populist. Well, this person will be somewhat like this. Now, let's go back to Daniel, and actually, uh, we'll look at, at uh, a couple passages here, but I have chapter 11 uh, marked out for you here. And so chapter 11 from verse 36 to 39 is one of those passages that describes the Antichrist. So let me just read these verses as you follow. Chapter 11, verse 36 of Daniel. Then the king, that is the Antichrist himself, shall do according to his own will. He shall exalt and magnify himself above every god and speak blasphemies against the God of gods. Notice the capital G, God of gods. And shall prosper till the wrath has been accomplished, for what has been determined shall be done. This man will come. He will do what God has planned for him to do, but he will become popular and he'll conquer. He shall regard neither the God of his fathers nor the desire of women. Now those two statements... Many people comment on, maybe we can say something definite, maybe not. Is he a Jew? Well, there are those who say anytime the God of his fathers is referred to must be the God of Israel and he must be a Jewish person. That may be, and then others kind of take it as it could be 
any God that his fathers had, no matter who his father is. So, okay, it might be a Jew, maybe not. Nor desire the desire of women, will he be homosexual? Will he have no regard for women? Maybe. Maybe he just doesn't want to be married, you know. Maybe just a playboy, you know. So maybe those two things can be read into that, maybe not. Nor regard any God, he shall magnify himself above them all. But in their place he shall honor a God of fortresses. Remember, he's, he's a conqueror going forth to conquer, a God of fortresses. And a God which his fathers did not know, he shall honor with gold and silver and precious stones and pleasant things. One more verse. Thus he shall act against the strongest fortresses with a foreign God, which he shall acknowledge and advance its glory. And he shall cause them to rule over many and divide the land for gain. Now, before you leave here, go back to chapter 7 of Daniel and let me include verses 20 uh, and 21. And I'm going to come back to the reference here to the ten horns. This is on the last beast, by the way, which is the Roman Empire, the, the fourth beast. And the ten horns that come up on the top of this beast. But notice verse 20 of chapter 7. Now about the ten horns that were on its head. And about the other horn which came up, that would be the Antichrist. He comes up among these ten nations at the end of the age that are the revived Roman Empire, we call it. Before which three fell, namely, that horn, notice the description now of the Antichrist, that horn which had eyes and a mouth which spoke pompous words, or you might have great things whose appearance was greater than his fellows. I was watching the same horn was making war against the saints and prevailing against him. You really have there chapter, or verse 20, I mean, the first three and a half years when he comes to power, and verse 21, what happens after he gets power in the second three and a half years. So the point is, he's a popular guy. But you know, as you read about this man, He's immoral, immodest, and impudent, if you will. He's a blasphemer. But the world loves it. What, what is popular today? Conservatism? Traditional morality? Is that popular today? No, we're, there, there's a big debate going on as to what the Thanksgiving Day, the, uh, Day parade is going to look like, the Macy's parade, you know, because it's basically going to be a queer-type parade. That's what the world wants. That's what they love. And there will be people out. So what kind of man is this? A populist man in this day that we're talking about will be that kind of person. And so that's why I use the term populist. Popular for three and a half years, but a terror in the second three and a half years. A terror to Israel and a terror to any other uh, person that happens to be believing in those days. I don't see anyone like this right now, but how do we know? I, I think Satan specifically uses this man and at the, at the halfway point actually comes in and possesses this man, and we've never seen anything like this. We may say Adolf Hitler or we may say people like that. Surely we're demonic, and I agree. There have been very few people that terrible. This man will be far worse. And Satan will see that he can use him. Remember, remember when Satan came to Jesus in the wilderness and said, I can give you the kingdoms of the world. Do you want them? All you've got to do is bow down and worship me. And, of course, our Lord uh, withstood that temptation, remaining sinless in himself, and, of course, would not accept Satan's offer to him of being what basically would have been an antichrist. Here comes a man that Satan comes to him and says, I'll give you the kingdoms of the world. And he says, okay, I'll take them. Now, who that man is, I don't know. And how, that, how Satan comes to him, I don't know. But that's what makes this man so charismatic, so popular, so powerful, so smart, led by Satan himself. Though a populist, a, a terrible type of person. And after all, Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light, isn't he not? 
If Satan can be transformed into an angel of light, then his puppet, the Antichrist, can look like an angel of light for three and a half years. And everybody says, wow, what a guy. Giving us everything we need. Protecting Israel. Exalting the West. Rebuilding the West uh, into something that's great again. <laughs> Make Rome great again. There will be a hat like that, I'm sure. That he'll, he'll give out, you know, make Rome great again. And that's what he'll do for three and a half years. All right. So white horse who's a conqueror, a conqueror and a populace. I may not get done tonight. If I don't, we're, we'll stop and, and come back to it. A Western king. Now we've got to go back to Daniel. Okay, we're, we're in Daniel, so we can stay there. <laughs> and we'll, we'll go to chapter 2 and talk about something that we call revived Rome. That's why I have it this way on our outline. Now, do you, do you, you remember a few things from, from the book of Daniel, right? Let me remind you of two visions that Daniel saw. The first one in chapter 2 here is one that first Nebuchadnezzar saw, and he didn't know how to interpret it. Daniel finally comes and interprets this for him. And that is he saw this huge statue, Colossus, this image. And this image had a head, shoulders, belly, thighs, the head was of gold, and that was Babylon. That's Nebuchadnezzar. Boy, Nebuchadnezzar loved that. That's no doubt why in chapter 3 he makes an image of this thing and tells everyone to bow down and worship it. He's the head of gold. That made him feel good. So he's the head of gold, and then you will be taken down, and Babylon will be destroyed by Persia. Persia becomes the shoulders of, of uh, silver, and then Greece becomes, or of bronze, or silver, yeah, and then Greece overtakes them. The belly is, is of bronze, or uh, bronze, and that is Alexander the Great and the, and the Grecian Empire. And then fourthly, the legs are of iron, and that pictures Rome. Now, in chapter 7, he's going to see those four kingdoms in four different beasts. Babylon, Persia. Greece, and Rome from about the 600s B.C. right up until the time of Christ. That first 69 weeks back there in the Old Testament is Babylon, Greece, or Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome. 69 weeks right up till the death of Christ. So he sees this in a couple different, in a couple different visions. Now, what we're looking at in chapter 2 and verse 33 then is... Uh, the explanation that's given here, verse 32 says, the image head was fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, and its legs of iron. So there you have the four kingdoms pictured with the four metals. Then notice its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. There's something that comes after Rome. There's something that's a little bit of iron, but a little bit of cheap clay. What is that? Well, we're going to see that that is this ten-nation end-time kingdom that comes. So uh, we read on and we have, skip over to verse 40, 42. Notice I have those verses. Now the fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron inasmuch as iron breaks in pieces and shatters all things like iron that crushes that kingdom will break in pieces and crush all the others talking about rome in the time of of christ i mean back then and verse 41 whereas you saw the feet and toes partly of potter's clay and partly of iron the kingdom shall be divided now, we're not talking about first century Rome because this never happened in first century Rome. Yet the strength of the iron shall be in it just as you saw the iron mixed with clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly fragile. And as you saw iron mixed with ceramic clay... They will mingle with the seed of men, and they will not adhere to one another, just as iron does not mix with clay. Now, notice verse 44. 
is a verse about Jesus Christ returning to set up his kingdom. There's no doubt about this. In the days of those kings, what is that? The ten toes on this statue. In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall be left, uh, uh, not left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these other kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. Now, that's, that's the millennial reign of Christ. All right, back to our, my little diagram here. He pictures those four kingdoms from Old Testament history. Then he talks about ten toes. And then he says, in the days of those ten toes, Christ will set up his millennial kingdom. So the, 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 the chronology here is that there's some kind of a ten-nation federation in this tribulation time just before Jesus comes back and sets up that kingdom on earth. That's what these verses uh, are talking about here. And so we go to second point there. Notice I'm talking about the revived Rome. I'm going to try to finish this, and that's probably all the farther we're going to get tonight, because I see your eyes blinking out there. So <laughs> Now, with, the, with that in mind, and I do, I'm not turning up to chapter 7 of Daniel, where you have that fourth beast. You have four beasts. One is Babylon, one is Persia, one is Greece, and the fourth beast is terrible, and that is Rome, and out of Rome comes ten horns. And out of those ten horns comes a little horn. As a matter of fact, we read in chapter 7 the description of that little horn. That is the Antichrist and his ten-nation federation in the tribulation period. The point I'm making here is all of this comes out of Rome, a Western nation, a Rome that used to sit on where Europe sits today, where the EU sits today, basically, and spread out from there. Okay, Revelation 17. We'll end up there tonight. Revelation 17. Maybe I should, if you're that far ahead, stop at Revelation 13. Let me read one verse to you there. Revelation 13. Here comes the Antichrist to power. Then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast. This is the Antichrist. The beast in Revelation is the Antichrist. Rising up out of the sea, <coughs> notice, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns... Ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. Now, you go on and read that chapter. You even have the description of the Antichrist, the description of the false prophet, and at the very last verse, the 666, which is put on people to buy and sell. Now, go to chapter 17. Now, chapter 17, verse 3. So he carried me away in this, well, no, let me read verse 1. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and talked with me, saying, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. And I'll have to come back to the description of this harlot but verse 3, so he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw this woman, a woman, sitting on a scarlet beast. That's the Antichrist, which was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. There's the Antichrist. And this one world church, pictured as the harlot, is riding upon the Antichrist up to power. That's why you'll see a one world church coming to power with the Antichrist, but then these ten nations are going to turn and destroy her. So go down to verse 12. Now the ten horns which you saw are ten kings who receive no kingdom as yet, but they receive authority for one hour as kings with the beast. So what's happening here? He comes to power in this first three and a half years. He's, he's conquering and going out to conquer. And he gets these ten nations together, and they come to power with him. Ten horns, ten nations. 
Who are they? Part of that old Roman Empire, but just the toes of it, not the ancient one. But they come to power, and that's why we call it a revived Roman Empire, Westerners. And he's a Western king. Okay? Verse 13. These are of one mind. They will give their power and authority to the beast. These will make war with the lamb, and the lamb will overcome them. So now he moves ahead to when Jesus returns. In the end, Jesus Christ is going to be Lord of lords and King of kings, not this beast. So, ten kings come to power, and then the, this harlot church, this one world church that comes to power with him, gets thrown out, and in my opinion, the false prophet initiates his own type of church and worship in the second three and a half years. It's a very new agey, earthy type of one world church. And you've got to worship there, by the way. You have no choice if you live in those times. A pagan religion, an economic system, and total civil, uh, civil control over your money, over your life, over everything that you can do. And we even see in our day and age how that's becoming more and more possible. We're going to have to stop there because of time. But the two things we have left, and I'll come back to these, is what happens at the middle here? The Bible calls it Gog and Magog in the book of Ezekiel. This is where the northern king comes against Israel and the western king, who is the Antichrist, comes to Israel's relief and with God's help defeats the northern kingdom by miraculous means and by the Antichrist, and the northerner is gone. That northern kingdom, Gog and Magog, is the northern uh, tribe or, or, or nations that we see now harassing Israel. But that in the middle of the tribulation period, couldn't be less than three and a half years from now, but they will be destroyed by God himself and by the Antichrist. And when the Antichrist wins that battle, there's no one in this world to withstand him. He is, he is winner take all. He is the God of the whole world at that time. We'll come back to what happens and how he goes into the temple of God and proclaims himself as God and turns on Israel and says, I don't need to protect you from anyone but myself, so I'm going to persecute you, which is what Satan always wanted him to do anyway. All right. That's where we have to stop tonight. And uh, I've got my sermon all prepared for next time. <laughs> but, uh, folks, it, it won't be. Uh, well, yeah, it will be. So then we have to wait a couple weeks for our Sunday night activities, and we'll come back in the middle of, uh, of uh, December to finish up this series. But I'll come back next week, and we'll finish this message, okay? So hope that you'll all come back for that. Stand with me, if you will. Let's stand and pray and sing a song. Father, thank you for the words of Scripture that we compare Scripture with Scripture, and we know that it doesn't conflict. We know that it works together. We know we have fallible minds that can make mistakes, uh, as we often do. So help us, Father, to, to be correct. Help us to know, but help us to have confidence in the promises of your Word for the sake of your church, for the sake of your gospel, for the sake of what we do in our day and age. And may we glorify you while we have time to do it. We'll thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Ken's going to come and lead us in a song.